Today's scripture reading is Psalms 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways of Zion. As they go through the valley of Becca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a better day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, Grace DC. It's good to be with you again. Happy New Year. My name is Mike. I serve as one of the pastors here in the network. And today I have the privilege of bringing the word. Let's pause uh, for a brief word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless this time. God, we come before you now and we ask that you would enliven our faith so that as we hear that we might believe and by believing that we might become. Give us hope and strength that comes from your word we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Every year, many people attempt to conquer Mount Everest despite obvious danger. In an interview, one experienced climber said, at any given moment, there are a thousand reasons to turn around. Reasons such as exhaustion, injuries, and hypothermia. But you need but one good reason to keep on going. What's true of climbing Mount Everest is true of our spiritual journey. There are a thousand reasons to throw in the towel and call it quits, but one good reason to keep on going. The psalmist knows that our spiritual journey is not always green pastures and still waters. There are valleys that test our faith. And that's why here in Psalm 84, he gives us one good reason to press on. What is that good reason? The author hints at it in verses 1 through 4, and again in verses 10 through 12. These two bookend passages speak of God. In particular, they speak uh, about the presence of God. In verses 1 through 4, he speaks of the goodness of God's presence. He writes in verse 1 and verse 4, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Later, in verses 10 through 12, 
he speaks to the greatness of God's presence. In verse 10, he declares, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. So what is the one good reason? It's intimacy with God. Advent, which, recent, which we recently celebrated, <clears throat> reminds us that he who came will come again. And when he does, we will see him face to face. And for the first time, we will fully know and fully love him as we are fully known and fully loved by him now. And intimacy with God is not the fruit of our labor. We cannot restore intimacy with God on our own merit. It's the mission of God in Christ to restore what was lost in Eden and bring us back home. In the meantime, even in our waiting, we see glimpses of that future glory. The psalmist certainly did. He says the nearness of God is better, better than anything else. So much so that he would rather be a doorkeeper near God than to have a seat of power and privilege somewhere else. The promise of intimacy with God in the age to come is what sustains us in our journey today. One of the easiest 12-hour drive I ever did was during Thanksgiving break of my freshman year in college. Me being 18 and very wise, I began the trek home at 10 p.m. It was my first time driving home alone without a cell phone and GPS. My only comfort and hope was a shiny, never used 1993 edition of Road Atlas. Now, some of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about. Recipe for disaster for sure. And to be honest, I was a bit nervous and even scared and at times very tired. But the one thing that kept me going was my longing to be with my family on Thanksgiving Day. I was so looking forward to being with my family and catching up with friends. And I was so excited for the feast that I knew awaited me. These things helped me get over the frustration of getting lost somewhere in Columbus, Ohio, and even the fatigue of driving in the wee hours of the morning in the mountains of Pennsylvania. Here's a question for us. How does the promise of intimacy with God in the age to come encourage us in, the, encourage us in practical ways today? Let's look at two things together. First, let's look at strength. The promise of intimacy with God gives us strength for the journey. How would you describe 2020 in one word? According to an article by dictionary.com, the three most apt descriptions for 2020 are, one, unprecedented. I don't think we need to explain that one too much. Two, hellacious. This word is a combination of the word hell and the word acious and can mean astonishing, which sounds very positive, but it can also mean difficult. Astonishing and difficult. Sounds like 2020 for sure, doesn't it? The final word on this list is the word apocalyptic. I remember seeing memes with the questions, which chapter of Revelation are we in today? 
And which of the 10 plagues is next? I would add to this list the word fatigue. From global pandemic to civil unrest and the madness of trying to balance online school and remote work, 2020 has done some serious damage. And add to that the loss of holidays with family and in-person gathering with faith community. This year has been exhausting. In the midst of all these and other existential crises, it's difficult to imagine how we keep going. How do we live into our identity as God's people? And how do we live out the calling to be a compelling community here in the city? How do we do all of this when we can't even make it past Monday sometimes? The answer is in verse five. Read with me. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. The second half of this verse is difficult to translate. In the original language, it reads, in whose heart are the ways. Many scholars believe this to mean those who have God's ways in their hearts. In other words, the psalmist says in verse five, blessed are those whose strength is in you, those who long for you. Those who long for the presence of God, he says, go from strength to greater strength. One commentator once said, the rich relationship with God is a never-ending supply of strength for the journey, even in difficult seasons. And this is true. Our relationship with God, that's the key to strength. And we can tap into this unlimited grace for us as we exercise the various spiritual disciplines like prayer, the word, and being in community and worshiping together. We can experience uh, the, the grace of God that would enliven our faith time and time again so that we can continue to live into the calling and live out the calling of being the people of God, committed to this city and loving this city well. As pilgrims go from strength to greater strength, it forms not only their faith, but it transforms their place, as I said. And here in verse six, this is what the author writes. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Notice the pronoun. It's they, the pilgrims. As they go through the valley of Baca, they're the ones who make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. The Valley of Baca refers to tears and weeping or of drought and dryness. This certainly describes our world, doesn't it? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he certainly did when he rolled away the stone and walked out of the tomb. Ever since then, he has been bringing beauty and glory into this broken world. And he is not going to stop until he finishes what he started. And when he returns, he will make all things new. But in the meantime, he continues this work through us, the jars of clay, the people of God. To be sure, he is the one who turns the valley of Baca into a place of springs. 
He transforms our sorrows into joy. He's the one that does that. He is intimately involved with what's going on in us, in the city, and in this world. He sees the tears of those in the margins. He hears the cry of the weak and the oppressed. And he is fully aware how sin has twisted the good world he created. And he is doing something about it through you and me. And it's through our small, often overlooked faith and faithfulness that that God accomplishes this work. We often think we have to do great things, but no, little things are enough for God to do his work. Just a handful of fish and bread were enough for Jesus to feed the multitude. And our small obedience, a small act of faith is enough for Jesus to do great things in this city. So let me ask you, how might God use you to bring about beauty and glory in this city? Certainly he wants to do that in your own heart as you believe the gospel, but he wants you to look out beyond yourself, to to be facing outward and to engage the world that he has placed you in. How might God use you? How can you be an instrument for him in this coming year? God promises strength to that end. And as Paul said, he who called us will do it because he is faithful to us. He will not only call us to the work of transforming the city, but he will give us grace and strength for that calling. Second thing we want to look at is weakness. The promise of intimacy with God frees us to be weak. It sounds like a contradiction, but in Christian faith, weakness leads to strength. Remember what Christ said to Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul prayed, God, take away this thorn. Jesus responded, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Once Paul understood that weakness leads to strength, he responded, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The great reformer John Calvin understood this. He writes, To lean with the whole heart upon God is to attain to no ordinary degree of advancement. And this cannot be attained by any man unless all his pride is laid prostrate in the dust and his heart is truly humbled. In other words, We won't know God's strength until we see our own weakness. As long as we proudly think that we can live the Christian life in our own power, we will not know God's power. This is true, uh, and, and the psalmist knows that. And that's why immediately after talking about going strength to greater strength, he prays 
in verse 8. He says, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Now, why do you think he prays? Why do you think he appeals to God's covenantal faithfulness? Like us, he feels weak at times. There is a big gap between our aspirations and reality. Yes, we want to go from strength to strength, and we prayed for that. But often we find ourselves in weakness, and that's okay. Interestingly, here in verse 8, the psalmist appeals to God of Jacob rather than God of Israel. There is a huge significance to that. God gave Jacob a new name, a new name Israel, uh, in Genesis chapter 32, after Jacob wrestled with God. The name Israel means you have struggled with God and overcome, and symbolizes strength and victory. But the name Jacob means a supplanter and a liar. And he was very good at it. It came in very handy many times. But when he heard that his older brother Esau, who was upset about something that happened a long time ago, was coming to meet him with a small army, Jacob knew that there was nothing he could say or do to get out of this one. So when the psalmist appeals to the God of Jacob, he appeals to God's mercy and grace. He could have easily said, hear my prayer, God of Israel, and appeal to strength and victory, but rather he appeals to God of Jacob and appeals to weakness and brokenness. And God invites us to be honest about our brokenness. He wants us to lay aside the mask and the pretense and come honestly before him. Because that's a mark of every healthy relationship. You and I know this, that without honesty, you can't have a healthy relationship. If you're pretending pretending to be someone that you're not, you can't ever be fully known and accepted for who you really are. And so God invites us to come honestly, to bring our brokenness, to admit our weakness. And when we do, he meets us with grace. He meets us with mercy. Isn't it interesting that in our weakness, we experience God differently? I know I do. It's in moments of weakness that I gain a deeper understanding of God's mercy. It's in the moments of weakness that I appreciate uh, his forgiveness all the more. It's in the times when I mess up and I am aware of my brokenness that I appreciate the fact that I'm adopted as a child and that God delights in me even in my worst days. So we as God's people, we can come honestly and know that he will meet us. And even in that low and challenging space, 
we grow in our understanding of God, appreciation for the gospel, and love for our Savior. There's one more thing we have to talk about, and that's verse 9. Here, the psalmist says more than he intends. Read verse 9 with me. He says, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. The psalmist, after he prays, maybe feels like he's not good enough to be heard. Do you know that feeling? Can you sympathize? He realizes that he does not meet the full requirement of God's law. And so he appeals to the merit of another, the anointed one. And he begs God to hear his prayer on the basis of this anointed one, the Messiah. These words would find their true fulfillment in Christ. It is on the cross where he shielded us from the wrath of God by drinking the cup of wrath down to the very last drop. And afterwards he said, it is finished. So that you and I, as God's people, never have to question our status before Him. We never have to question if we're good enough. We never have to wonder if God will hear our prayers. No, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, you and I can be confident that He will give us grace in the moments of weakness so that we can go from strength to greater strength. And that's the hope that the psalmist offers before, uh, to us here in, this, in Psalm 84. And so as God's people, as we get ready to face another year, and I know many of us are tired, many of us feel weak, and that's a good, good place to be. It's okay. Let's turn our hearts to Him and let's, based on uh, the finished work of Christ, call out to our Father and let's receive His strength so that our hearts will be set on this pilgrimage where we, even in this next year, can see and experience glimpses of that promised glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this time. We ask that You would help us to believe these words. Give us hope and strength, we ask, in Christ's name, amen.